Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. So I had, I had a message that I'm like, man, this is great for a youth takeover Sunday. And then God changed my message. Um, so I'll be using that later. Um, but I got a message today, I believe, from God that's going to be for so many people in the room today. Um, you know, I've been married for almost six years now. My wife's in the room. I won't point her out and make her feel awkward or stand up. But she's sitting over here to, the, to my left. So... Um, we're going on six years of marriage, and I know that's crazy because I'm super young. Thank you for noticing. And, um, you know, six years of marriage, it's been amazing. I've loved every minute of it. And the, the great thing about marriage is when you, when you first, there's some, I was just at a wedding this week. I got another one coming up. And, you know, the greatest thing I think about marriage is you get to learn um, strength and weaknesses of the people you married, Right? So the people in here that are married, you, like, you, you fully understand. Living with somebody, that's a whole nother ball game and challenge. But we're not talking about that. So we first get married, and she didn't know all my quirks. We'd been together for forever, but she didn't know all my quirks. Um, and so first couple months of marriage, she started learning something about me um, that if you don't know, you're going to find out this morning. Um, I'm claustrophobic, extremely claustrophobic. Anybody else claustrophobic in here? Okay, all right. You guys are really secure. Like, no, I'm not claustrophobic. Good for you. It's just me up here. Tough audience. So really claustrophobic, right? And she's a massive major, wants to cuddle all the time. I'm not, okay? So you can see we we had some things to work on. I learned a thing called compromise. If you're newly married in here, you're going to learn this, okay? Compromise. And um, a couple months into marriage, she starts realizing that when I'm uncomfortable, and I felt stuck and claustrophobic. True story, this is not a joke. This is exactly why I'm going through therapy right now. She learned that when I was feeling stuck and claustrophobic and I get all restless, you know, my body, would get, my body temperature is just always hot, always hot. Anybody else just like, your body's always hot, that's me. And so she realized I started getting squirmy and instead of like, hey, like maybe you should get up and walk around, you know, you're good, you're fine. What she would do is um, she would throw a blanket on top of me and then she would pull me in so that I couldn't move and I'd just be fidgeting like, let me go. I'd be shaking and convulsing, sometimes crying. And she thinks it's the funniest thing in the world, okay? This is why I'm going through therapy. And I'm thinking about this, I'm like, man, nobody likes feeling stuck. Nobody likes feeling stuck in life. Maybe you, you're in here today and you're like, I feel stuck in my career. I thought at this point I'd be making way more money being an executive level job, but I'm still earning minimum wage or not much more than that. And I feel stuck in my position, like I've plateaued where I am and I don't want to be in this position anymore. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're young at all, or maybe you're not, but you're in a relationship that's new and you're like, I thought we'd be married by now. And this man still ain't popped the question. We're still here. Or, or maybe for you, you're like, I've been in college for 100 million years, and it doesn't feel like I'm ever gonna get out of this place. It's worse than prison. And you're like, when am I gonna get out of this place? And you're wondering when the right moment is to say, all right, I give up, I feel stuck, I'm just gonna try something new. I, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, man, nobody likes this feeling of feeling stuck, do we? And yet so many times what I've, I've learned about humanity is that we're so obsessed with trying to find our purpose for life, but we neglect our purpose for the season that we're walking through. We think that there's some big umbrella purpose, but there's not one for every step that we take. And I'd like to suggest this morning that every position that you find yourself in, there's purpose in it. I think there's purpose right where you are. I think there's purpose through what you're walking through. I think there's purpose through what you're feeling and that you're not alone in it. So I was, um, 
on a plane recently, and you guys have heard me say that I hate planes, I still do. Um, I don't freak out unless everybody else does. And even when I'm internally freaking out, if I can just make sure everybody else is cool, I'm like, all right, we're good. But if somebody else freaks out, it's like a four-year-old girl screaming her head off in there. That's me, okay? Um, true story. And I'm on a plane. We're going to a conference. And real quick, I want to shout this out. We're on a conference, a flight to a conference for church planning. Shout out our Rockland campus. Give it up for the Rockland campus starting. Come in soon. I'm super excited about that. Um, you can register for that in the church center. That was a plug. That was not in my notes. If you're interested, come out and hear the vision night. We're on a plane ride out there, and we're getting ready to land. And um, one of the guys on staff asked me, Sam, what's been the hardest part for you in all your years of youth ministry and just being in ministry? What's been the most challenging part for you? And I think my response actually says a lot about what a lot of us feel in life, even if it's not in ministry. I said, you know, I think the hardest part of ministry for me over the years has been is staying faithful to what God has called me to, even when it's different than what I thought it was gonna be. I think there's a lot of people in here that you had a vision for what your future was gonna be, what your business would turn into, what your relationship would look like, what this season might be. I always tell Carly, I can't wait till my 10 year, my 10 year reunion comes for high school. And now that I'm inching closer and closer, I'm like, oh, this is not at all what I thought it was gonna, I thought I was gonna be in a different position than this. But we all have this, don't we? We have a vision for what our life is gonna look like, but sometimes we're in a reality and a narrative right in front of us that is everything but we thought it was gonna be. And the question this morning that, that I wanna ask and answer is can you stay faithful in that place? Can you stay faithful when it looks different than you thought it was going to? Can you stay faithful and committed to what God has put in front of you even if it's not even entirely what you want? Now, this might come as a surprise, and I need you guys to wake up a little bit. You can preach back to me. You can say, that's good, white boy. Um, you can say, you can say your, your, your pants are too tight, whatever. These ones are loose, but the hips, I got, never mind. You know, I'm a young adult, and I'm really struggling to find the right pant size right now. And um, it's just where I'm at. And your laugh actually hurt me severely. I'm going to the gym after this. I had this basketball coach, um, so I started playing organized sports when I was in seventh grade, okay? I was a late bloomer. Still can't grow a beard, late bloomer, okay? It's just the reality of my story. And I graduated high school, 18 years old, at 5'11", 140 pounds. If you can imagine 140 pounds, I was sticks, all right? If, you, if, if the wind hit me the wrong way, I'd break. I was small, okay? And so I'm playing organized sports seventh grade. I have this coach. And I hope he's listening because this would be great material for him. And I don't know what it is about coaches, but there's always like this narrative that they have to have like some like bravado and they gotta be a certain kind of way. And so my last name is Flurry. If you didn't know that, you do now. I'm reintroducing myself. Flurry is my last name, okay? So seventh grade football season comes around, never played organized sports. I'm tiny. I could probably get hurt by the wind. And my coach, he wants to put me in the game and he goes, Fury, get in the game. And I'm like, my last name is Flurry. Can this guy not read or is it, what is it? He goes, Fury, get in the game. And I'm like a seventh grade kid. I'm like, yes, coach. And I, you know, I was, I was like practicing my little kid voice today, but I realized these pants are so tight that it, it helps me. And I'm like, yes, coach. And so I run up and I get in the game. And I was trying to be a linebacker. I thought I was destined for the NFL. Stop laughing. Okay, that's not what I asked for. Didn't work out, obviously, okay? So go through seventh grade, I played football, basketball. Eighth grade, football, basketball. Ninth grade, I stopped playing football because I realized this ain't my cup of tea and I'm too small and fragile and I'm not gonna make it. 
So 10th grade comes around, 11th grade. So here's the funny thing is my coach decides I'm gonna graduate middle school with these guys. And he becomes, um, a, 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 what is it, a yard duty? Is that what they call them, yard duties? He's a yard duty, um, if that's what you call him, person at my school. And then he becomes my high school basketball coach in 11th grade. Now at this point, still can't grow facial hair. You know, my voice still is a little pitchy, but I'm working on it, I'm getting there. You know what I'm saying? And he's my basketball coach. Now at the time, um, I was dating my girlfriend, still right here, my wife over here. We've been together forever. And um, it was like one of the first games that she had come to. And there was four guys on the basketball team that were really, really good. And then there was like eight of us that were like, not really, really good. Okay, we sucked. All right, there it is. I said it. And um, I played on the project basketball team this year and I didn't single, score a single point in eight games. So <laughs> you tell me how well it's going. And um, it's just, you know, okay, anyways. Didn't score a single point. So I'm about ready to get in the game. And the first game of the year comes around and my coach goes, Fury. And I'm like, bro, that is not my name. My last name is Flurry. And he's like, Fury, you're starting tonight. And I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. My girl's out there. She's going to watch me. I'm going to score 50 points tonight. I'm going to hit the game winning shot. And they're going to carry me out on their shoulders. And it's going to be game time. She's going to love me after this. So I'm in the warm-up lines before a basketball game. And She's out there watching, her family's there, my family's there. I'm like, I gotta look good, right? So I'm like doing all these fancy dribbling moves, things that are unnecessary, spin moves, it's like nobody guarding me. <laughs> and he calls me out and he goes, Fury, what are you doing? And I'm like, whoa, coach, calm down. Okay, just doing layups. He's all, no, you can't do that. I'm like, what, why? My, my voice is a little more cracked. I'm like, oh, why? Why can't I do it? He's all, every step, it has to have a purpose. And I'm like, I don't know why you had to yell at me over that. You could have just said it. This guy's always yelling at me. It's probably because I suck, but I'm going to play anyways. My girl's still out there. I didn't score a point that game. We lost. We lost a lot of games, actually. My senior year, I don't think we won any, so we were pretty brutal. And, uh, and then when you watch yourself on film later, if you're an athlete, you know what I mean, and you watch, you're like, dang, that, that's how we looked? That was brutal. Why do they keep showing up? And so I'm, I'm thinking about this thought. I'm like, every step, it has to have a purpose. And I'm thinking about everybody in this room that's like, you might be in a season, in a situation where you're like, I, I feel stuck where I am. I've plateaued, I'm not growing. This isn't what I thought it was gonna be. It's everything but the vision that I had for my future. Am I stuck here? And I wanted to tell somebody this morning that every step has a purpose. That right where you are today, whether it is where you wanna be or not, there's purpose in your current position. Right now, I believe that there's a way that our God doesn't waste anything but he takes everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he uses it together for our purpose. And you may be asking yourself this morning, like, yo, like, how does this debt, how does that work in for my purpose? How, how does this sickness in my family, how does this work into my purpose? How, how, how does the family issues and the drama at Christmas time, how, how does this work in my purpose? And I, you know what I believe? I don't think that God originates or, or even creates these seasons of struggle and difficulty and hardship but I believe this about our God. I believe that he uses all of it and he wastes nothing. And I say all that to set up this, that I think he uses the struggles that you and I walk through to bring us closer to the one that can sustain us. I think he uses the things that hurt us to bring us closer to the one that can heal us. I think he uses the things that hurt us and pain us to bring us closer to the only one who can perfect our soul. I think that God says, if I, even if you're walking through what you don't wanna walk through, I can still use this so that you can see me. That is the point of faith. Not that we come to church on a Sunday morning and go to a Bible study on a Wednesday morning. 
That's not what it's about. Faith is about that we see him for who he is. And so that means that right where you are right now, his whole idea and creation with you and design from the beginning was that wherever you are, he wants you to see him. He wants you to see him for who he really is. So um, I, I said this at the, the 8.30, and I mix up times because it's so early, but um, I don't know why this thought came to my mind early, and I'm like, man, this is really good. Um, you know, things preachers do. And last year, or a year or two years ago, we were, we're swimming at, at Papa Randy's, what we call him, but Pastor Randy's house. And there's a pool in the backyard. We're playing water basketball. Things got out of hand. A whole bunch of grown men shouldn't be playing basketball in a pool together, but we were. We were wrestling. It got so heated that Pastor Caleb took his father and put him in a headlock underneath the water. And we're all like, ha, 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 ha. And then it kept going. We're like, uh-oh. Is he going to let his dad come up? And, and Randy comes up. He's like, <gasps> I'm like, dude, you almost killed him. And uh, it brought this thought to my mind that in a, in a, in a weird kind of way <laughs> that you are not stuck where you are. You are being held there. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, Randy, you are where, where you needed to be, man. But I think that this is what God does, that a lot of you feel like, man, I'm, I'm stuck where I am, and I, I'd like for you to have this idea in your mind that you're not stuck where you are. God is holding you there for a purpose. And he does that to grow you, and it's him doing a deep inner work on the inside of you. He has you there for a reason. And so we're gonna be reading out of, out of the book of Acts about a man named Saul. Now Saul is renamed Paul, so I'm gonna refer to him as Paul. Um, but in Acts chapter nine, there's a man named Paul. He's a bad man. He, he wants to, he, gatherings like this, he's not in favor of. He doesn't think that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't like the fact that people are preaching about him and spreading what he thinks is false religion. So his whole job and, and purpose and goal of life at this point in Acts chapter nine is to find people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he gets letters from Roman officials, from, from religious leaders to go into different territories and communities and to be able to drag people out who are actually actively following Jesus. And what he does with them is he has them beaten and then thrown into prison simply just for following Jesus because he doesn't believe in it. So Acts chapter nine, he's got these letters of authorization and he's on his way to a city called Damascus. On his way to the city called Damascus, what happens is, is he has this moment with God where he didn't believe that God was real. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But he's on his way to Damascus and a, a, it's a, the Bible says a brilliant flashing light comes from heaven and it blinds him, it drops him to his knees. And he opens his eyes and he can't see anything. Now, don't we wish that like a moment where you're praying and you're like, God, I need to hear from you. It's like the people that like, they drop their Bible and like, this is what God wants for me right now. You know, it's like, this is what we want when we're praying to God. We want like a light to come from heaven. Like, okay, that's what you want from me, God. That is so easy. Why didn't you just say that? It's like Paul actually gets a cheat code and he gets one of these moments where God just shows up. But what's amazing about what happens to, to Paul in this moment is he, his, his sight is taken away. He opens his eyes, but he can't see anything. But you know what's incredible? That when he lost his sight, God gave him vision. And you gotta understand there's a massive difference between the two. Sight is being able to see physically. Vision is being able to see supernaturally. What God is doing, what God wants you to do, where he wants you to go. And God gives Paul supernatural vision for the trajectory of his life. So he's, he goes to the city of Damascus and God says, there's gonna be a guy named uh, Ananias who prays for you. He's gonna lay hands on you. You're gonna get your sight back. That's exactly what happens. Ananias prays for him. And at that moment, Saul said, I'm committing my entire life to following Jesus. He's made himself clear. He's made himself known. He's made himself real. And I'm gonna spend the rest of my days spreading forward the message of the gospel. 
So Paul now is in Acts chapter 16, what we're gonna be reading through. And this is the narrative that's coming. So Paul is accompanied by a man named um, Silas. And they're out going to a house of prayer where they're just gonna continue to, to be in God's presence. They're gonna continue to spread forward the message of the gospel. But what happens is incredible. Paul has new vision from God, what he's supposed to do with his life. But if we actually look at Paul's life, there's a lot of things that come. In Acts chapter 16, we're gonna see that Paul is thrown into prison. We're gonna see that he's beaten. We're gonna see that people say things about him just like what they did to Jesus, that they're gonna accuse him of things that he never did. And I'm reading this story and I'm like, man, how many of us in this room relate to that? That we had a vision for what life was supposed to be, but right now, this doesn't look anything like what I thought it was gonna look like. Have you been there before? Paul is beaten and thrown into prison and the vision that he got from God was that you're gonna love people, you're gonna serve people, you're gonna spread the message of the gospel, you're gonna let people know that they're loved, you're gonna start revivals. And he's like, cool, I'm down for that. But then he's beaten, thrown into prison. Bible says that there's other times where he's on a, a boat that's shipwrecked. And eventually at some point in his life, he's killed for his beliefs. This is everything but what Paul thought it was gonna be. But you know what I think is incredible about the resilience and resolve that Paul had? That he stayed committed to what God called him to, even when it looks different than what he thought it was gonna be. I wanna ask you this morning, can you stay committed to what God has called you to when it looks different than you thought it was gonna look? Can you stay committed to prayer even though your situation hasn't changed? Can you stay committed in your marriage even though it has been working for a long time and you're like, maybe it's just done? Can you stay committed to school right now in college when all you wanna do is walk away? Can you stay faithful to what God has you in right now? Because I believe that there's purpose in your current position. I believe that in 2022, there's a lot of people trying to jump ship, go to the next thing, the next best opportunity. And the problem with that is we miss what God has for us right here. God is everywhere at all times, but I believe that right now that there's something he wants you to get. So I wanna ask you this morning, and this is what God sent me to implore you with, I'm gonna start preaching now. Will you stay? Will you stay faithful? Will you stay committed? Will you stay obedient right where you are? Will you stay obedient? So Acts chapter 16, as I said, Paul and Silas, they're on their way to, to a house of prayer, on their way. Long story short, there's a demon-possessed woman that's following Paul and Silas. Three days go by, he's fed up with it. He turns around, he casts the demon out of her. And the funny thing about this is she was kind of like a roadie, all right? Not funny that she was possessed, but people were earning money off of her. She was a roadie. So she had two managers that went with her everywhere she went. Because of her possession, they got to make money. So they would actually bring this girl to people to do, you know, the palm readings and the future telling and stories and all that. So then people actually were believing this. And so because of that, she was possessed. People were using her to earn money off of this, but she wasn't taking anything away from it. So in a moment when Paul gets fed up on the way to the house of prayer, three days later, he casts the demon out of her. And these two managers, the men that were with her, are so upset that they've done this that they go to the, the Roman citizens and the Roman officials and they say, yo, they're trying to push their Jesus message and their religious things down our throat and we don't like it. They, you need to get them out of here. And what he has done is Paul and Silas are then thrown into prison. And now you gotta understand that this wasn't like modern day prison, fam. This was brutal. Many theologians will tell you that where he was, Paul was bound up and chained in a chair whereas one guy locked eyes on you the entire day. Made sure you didn't move, made sure you didn't breathe wrong made sure you didn't burp, you know what I'm saying? He made sure you didn't move. And he's chained down. And theolo it was funny, thank you. Theologians will tell you that the, the cell that he was in was dark, was moist, was damp, and it was ankle deep in human sewage. 
This is not the vision that Paul had. Paul did not sign up for that. Paul, God did not go, Paul, this is going to come your way. He's like, sign me up. I'm so down to sit in human excrement for a few days. Nobody, nobody would say that. And this is the position that Paul is in. And as I'm reading through this um, in Acts chapter 16, and they're going to throw it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Acts chapter 16, um, verses 20, I should know this, 23. And um, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. So if you're in your Bible, turn to, you type in TPT, it'll bring you there. Otherwise, it's on the screen. But this is what's happening in Acts chapter 16. It says this, verse 23. After they, Paul and Silas, were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and he had their feet bound and chained. Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas undaunted, they prayed in the middle of the night and they sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Talk about a captive audience here, huh? All right, all right, that was a missed joke. Missed it at the 832, I'm gonna scratch it. Suddenly, a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Startled, the jailer awoke and he saw every cell door standing open. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. And when Paul shouted in the darkness, he said, stop, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. And the jailer, he called for light and when he saw that they were still in their cells, he rushed in and he fell trembling at their feet and he led Paul and Silas outside and he asked them, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas, they answered, simply believe in Jesus and you will be saved. This is what we believe here at Project Church, that it's not about your works or your efforts or your abilities, but it's simply believing in Jesus that saves your soul, that gives you a home and eternity, but it changes everything here on this side of heaven for you. And all you have to do is say, I'm putting my heart and faith in Jesus. It's that, it's that, it's that easy. And as I'm reading through this, a couple things stand out to me. Paul feeling like maybe in a time of his life where he's stuck. Here's what I learned from him in this season. What do you do when you feel stuck? You stay still. You're like, what? No way, dog. I'm going to pick up a second job. I'm going to dump this person and get a new person. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to move to this community. I'm going to travel this many times per year. And this is what happens, isn't it? When we feel stuck, we feel in a mundane situation, when things become too routine, what we end up doing is we make our own plans. Now hear me, I'm all for plans. I'm all for having a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, having life goals. Those are all great things, but we have to come back to the understanding of this, that God has a way of divinely getting in the middle of all of that and changing it. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, that man plans his way in his heart, but it's the Lord that directs the steps. And what I've learned is when he redirects our steps, it's never for the wrong thing, it's always for a better thing. But it doesn't always feel that way because Paul shows us that his, his, his um, steps were, were reordered. And, and, the, and the prison did not feel any better than the things that maybe he saw for his future. But what I've learned about Jesus is even when he redirects our steps, what he has for us is better for us on the other side. I think your, your present moment, your current situation, it'll serve your purpose if you allow it to. But you gotta be committed to saying, God, I'm gonna stay right here. And this is so not a popular message on Memorial Day weekend when most people are at the beach right now and I'm saying, you need to stay. Most people are like, yo, I wanna go. And I felt like the word of the Lord today for somebody was you need to stay. 
You need to stay committed where you are. You need to stay faithful where you are. You need to stay committed to the marriage, the vision, the plans that God has for you. Keep planning, but just understand that he has a way of coming in and reordering steps. And so Paul says this, what I've learned, he said, stay still. He, he screams out to the jailer, all the cells come wide open. The chains come off. This is the grand opportunity. I get to leave. Now, listen, if any of y'all were in prison, first of all, don't call me, okay? Second of all, <laughs> I got friends on the inside. They'll help you. Uh, <laughs> things you don't say at church. And then also, you know what I've learned? Is that he's either God of all or he's not God at all. And so if you're in a position right now and you're saying, I'm gonna make it happen on my own, I'm gonna do it in my own strength, I'm gonna do it in my own timing, my own plans, I don't care what he wants, I'm gonna do it my way, you have to understand that he's either God of all or, or not at all. You have to make the decision today saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bury myself right here and say, God, I'm gonna trust what you're gonna do. Now it's a dichotomy, and I said this at the 832. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you're in a position right now and you, you know, look at my, my just like Paul says, my hands are arrested. I can't do this on my own. He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Lift your voice to him. Let him know that. But God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Some of you are very able and, and willing and can do something that God has asked you to do and you are reluctant saying, nah, God will do it. When he's put the money in your pockets, when he's put the vision in your mind, when he's put the people around you, God won't do for you what you can do for yourself, but he will do for you what you can't do for yourself. So right here, just like all the coffee mugs read at every Christian store you go to. Stay still and trust that he is God. And this is why Paul, when he's released and every, he has the opportunity to leave and he doesn't, he, he yells out to the jailer, we're all still here. You have to understand that the reason why this happens is Paul was not told by God to go yet. And I, I like, if you read this interaction, like if this is me and the jailer opens up, I'm walking out of that place. I'm not staying another moment. And the jailer's all, he's all, we're all still here. And the, 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 the jailkeeper's all, why are you still here? Do you like it here? Is the food good? Is it the free toilet paper that you're getting? Is that what you like? I know it's hard to get right now. Is that why you're still here? But I think for people committed to doing what God has called them to do, they're committed to saying, I'm gonna stay faithful where I am. And this is a question that the world will ask you. Why did you stay after you were hurt like that? Why did you stay when they gossiped like that about you? Why would you continue to trust God even though you felt disappointed? Why would you keep showing up on Sunday mornings even though you feel like it's not doing anything for you? Why? This is what the jailkeeper is saying. Well, why, why would you do it? And it's, it's a simple fact of this, that if you leave where you are prematurely, you will miss what God has for you right here. And I think people committed to saying that God is sovereign, God is above this, he is working in it, and this is not outside of his plan, his context, or his will, then what I'm gonna commit myself to is saying, I'm gonna stay here trusting that God will work this together, he will bring something through it, and I will be grateful that I was here. It's not to say that it won't be painful. It's not to say that it won't be difficult, and I wanna be sensitive to that. But it's to tell you that if you stay still right where you are, you will not miss what God has for you right here. And it's kind of around this idea um, and I'm gonna give you a fancy way of saying it and then I'm gonna break it down for you. Um, be cognitive, not compulsive. Fancy way of saying, pause. Take a moment, pray about it, think about it. Chill out, bro, for a minute before you just rush into doing the next thing. Rush into the next job, the next relationship, the next season, the next opportunity. Just, just pause for a moment. In the Flurry household, we're trying to learn a new concept and <clears throat> when I say learning, I mean we are learning it. 
And it's this concept, if you've ever read through the Psalms, there's a word there that'll break in the middle of scriptures. And it'll be the word selah. If you've seen the word selah, have you ever looked up what it meant? It means to pause, to relax, to, to, to meditate, to pray for a moment and reflect. So the, this concept that we're trying to institute, I think could be helpful, so write this down. You might need this later. And it's cheesy, but it's real. Selah before you say a lot. Selah before you say a lot. A meaning pause, take a minute, pray, internalize, ask God to come in the situation before you say anything. Your words will be poison if you don't. Your actions will be hurtful if you don't. But if you would take a minute and say, God, I'm gonna pause and say law for a moment. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will grace you. And you won't have to do it in your own strength. Say law before you say a lot. And this is why I believe that it's so important for all of us on a Sunday morning. I'm, listen, I'm not just a proponent to gather people into a building because it looks good. Community is so vital to your, your walk and your faith with Jesus because when you come into a community like this, you find that God's house is a covering. And sometimes God sends resources and comfort and peace to the people around you. Community is not just a gathering but, and not just a covering, but it's also balancing you. That when you wanna jump to the next thing, you're gonna often find that people are gonna come around you and go, hey, that, that sounds like a good opportunity. Can we talk about that for a minute? Why do you wanna do it? Why don't you wanna do it? What's keeping you from doing it? What's keeping you from not doing it? And community balances you. And this is why we do Sunday mornings because it's not just about this gathering, but the many community groups that we have. That people get around you and they strengthen you. They help bring you wisdom. And they say, hey, have you taken a moment and paused? Have you taken a moment and asked God to come into this situation? Because when you have a community, what they're always, and I would hope will always echo about the heart of the church in situations that you wanna move out of is to stay still. To so stay still. Don't just jump to the next thing, but right where you are, Stay still. And I think this is the incredible thing about worship is if you've been coming here for a long time or not long, that's okay. But if you've seen anybody in worship, oftentimes the first thing you'll see somebody do before they open, you know, open their hands and raise them is they close their eyes. We do this a lot, don't we? And this is a, a, a very practical but really supernatural thing that I've learned over the last years of my life. That in life, when you're not seeing the things that you want to see, when it doesn't look the way that you thought it was going to look, when the situations in front of you are everything but what you thought they were gonna be, sometimes God will remind you to close your eyes for a minute and he'll show you again what that marriage is gonna be like. He'll show you again what that business will do. He'll show you what that community will look like. He'll show you what that calling will be. But sometimes we have to be cool enough and, and, and controlled enough to say, I'm gonna stay still. I'm gonna close my eyes and say, God, show me again. God, show me again what you showed me in the first time. Because out there, you don't always see what you wanna see, do you? Come on, you can talk. You don't always see it, do you? But God gives us this innate ability to say, I'm gonna pause, relax, take a moment and invite God back in. God, God, show me again. God, remind me again. God, persuade me again. God, convince me again. And that's exactly what he does. The second thing that, that Paul kind of reveals in this moment and season of his life where he could have said, I feel stuck, that you're positioned perfectly. Right where you are, even if it is where you wanna be or not, you are positioned right where you need to be. God has planted you there and placed you there. And if you're there trying to find a way out, please understand me that God is not, you're not stuck. God is holding you there. There's a blessing there. There is breakthrough there. There is things that you've been praying for for years that are there. It's so funny that sometimes you will find gold and diamonds in the rough. This is what God does when you are in the mucky situations, the difficult situations and the ones you don't wanna be in. God will say, well, you trust me long enough because what's in there is what you've always asked for what you've always prayed for. But will you labor enough? Will you stay enough? Will you believe 
enough. And as we move along in scripture, it says that Paul, he gets to a point where the jailkeeper comes back with a report saying the Roman citizens and officials have decided you're free to go. He's like, I'm free to go. The doors are wide open. I've got no chains on me. I know I'm free to go. He said, what? And he was such like a fourth grader move. He was really, you know, if you're married and you've ever been in any type of argument, sometimes it gets a little immature, you know what I'm saying? And this is what happens. He's all crosses in arms. He's like, they're all, you're free to go. And he's like, no, they hurt my feelings. They need to come apologize first, then I'll leave. And they're like, bro, you can just leave. He's like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going until they tell me to leave. And he's like, all right, bro, we'll go, we'll go get him. And so they go get him to come back and, and they say, hey, you're free to go. We're sorry that we beat you. It's, it's like, that's, that's all I was asking for. Thanks, I'm good to go now. And he leaves, right? But it was like this concept that, that Paul would, trusted so deeply that God had him where he was for a purpose, that he refused to leave until God told him to go. And many times you and I, we pray, God, open a door so I can walk through. And if you open it, that's, that shows me that's where you want. Not true. Sorry, I know that's a little confusing. But just because doors open, it doesn't mean you're, you're supposed to go. God did not release Paul yet, so he stayed there and he waited until God said go. Now, if you're being evicted out of your home or apartment and they tell you you need to go, don't tell them that. It's terrible. You will probably go to jail just like he did, and it's not worth it. If they tell you to go in that situation, you probably need to take off. But somebody in here today, as I'm getting ready to close, the band can come back up, or the keys, either way. What you need to commit yourself to today is saying, God, I'm, I'm not going until you tell me to go. God, I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to this season. I'm committed to this process until you tell me to go. Because if you don't commit to where God has you, it might not serve your purpose the way it's meant to. And he wants this to be a part of your purpose, even though it might be difficult. He wants this to serve your purpose. So you need to commit yourself. I'm not leaving until you send me out. And for the people that are in here like, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. You know, there's a lot of advice that people give, and I'll tell you this. It's, it's as simple as this. If you don't know the next thing God wants you to do, then just simply do the last thing he told you to do. If he told you to go to that career, if he told you to go to that job, if he told you to be in that community, if he told you to get around those people, then just keep doing that. And when you have done it, he'll tell you to go. I mean, it's very clear. If you read Jesus' original 12 disciples, what happens is he always sends them off to do a mission. But you know what I've never read in Scripture? I've never seen Jesus call somebody away from the thing that they were doing until they finished the thing he meant for them to do. And so if you are somewhere right now and all you want is to get out of it, but you haven't been able to yet, I would suggest that maybe you haven't completed fully what he sent you there for. He will not ask you to go somewhere else until you finish what you were called to that season and that time for. Will you stay faithful there? Will you stay faithful there? In, in, in Philippians chapter one, verse nine, um, 19, I want to read this because I think it's important. Paul didn't leave when the doors were opened. He could have left. Because leaving, we got to admit for, our, for a moment, leaving is always easier, isn't it? Staying is hard. I think Paul was on to something because in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he's the one that goes on to write, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And maybe he was talking about eternity, but if we bring that into the context of our current circumstance, I think what he's trying to communicate is it's easier to go than it is to stay. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you need to stay. Because starting things is so easy. So we got businesses popping up everywhere, but none of them being sustained. Starting is easy, finishing is hard. 
This is why Paul wrote, I want to endure and walk this and live it, and I want to get to the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've made it to the end. Because I committed to the race. I didn't bow out when it got hard. I didn't walk away when it was easy. I said, God, I'm committed to saying to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm committed to staying until you tell me to go. I don't know who in here is making the decision today that you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about going and God has not told you to. Today is the day you say, I'm committed to staying because it's always harder to stay. And Paul, he's in this situation where he could have left. He could have walked out. Doors were open, chains were off. He's in human excrement. He's like, all of us want out of that. And he starts worshiping God. He lifts up his hands and he starts singing praise to God. This shook me because, but what I want you to hear first, because we get this misconstrued so often. We, we sing worship songs about it and we preach messages about it. That if you just praise God in the middle of your storm, he'll release you from it. What? Last time I checked, Paul was murdered. John the Baptist, I'm sorry, his head was cut off. There were things that were happening that were not a part of the plan or excuse me, the vision that God had given people. But what I've always learned is that when we think that it's about us and we think that my praise, my worship, my works, my efforts will move the hand of God. And we've got it wrong. Our hands and our hard work and our efforts and our worship, they're all good things. But they don't move the hand of God, they move the heart of God. And I would rather move his heart because I know that his ways, they're better than my ways. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And even though I am where I don't want to be, God, I trust that there's a reason why. So I'm committed to saying yes right here because to live is Christ, to die is gain. So I'm committed to staying right here until you tell me to go. So it's not your, your works, your efforts that are going to move his hands. It's going to move his heart. But what I've learned about God's presence is it's where his power is found. And this is why we worship. This is why we spend 30 minutes at least in worship because where his presence is, his power is. But for the person here that you walk out and you're like, I know things are different as soon as I leave. I leave. His presence is, is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. And do you know what that means? That if you're in the valley low, his presence is the same in the valley as it is on the mountains. His presence is the same as it is in the mess, as it is in the miracles. His presence and his goodness is the same in the breaking as it is in the breakthrough. And somebody needs to attach their faith to him and say, I'm not going to do it on my own anymore. I've tried and I'm tired and I can't do it anymore. And you will find that you have a savior that swoops you up. He carries you. Because sometimes we need to be carried. It's not in what you do that moves him. It's in his presence. And lastly, it's, it's grace alone is what I learned from Paul and Silas. That it wasn't in what they did, but it was in grace alone. This is what our faith is built on. And I said this at Team Rally last week, and can I be really honest with you? And I said this so many times, and you probably know this about me. But just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't bleed like you bleed. It doesn't mean I don't hurt like you hurt. We all hurt, don't we? We all have tough seasons, difficult times, don't we? And uh, Sunday mornings, I love Sunday mornings. There's nothing like a, a coming together in the local church. Sunday mornings have been hard for me over the last year. Sunday mornings on the clock, I wake up at 4.30. God's not even awake at 4.30. Why would I be awake at 4.30? If you're an early riser, you're outside of the will of God. <laughs> Don't tweet that. <laughs> but I wake up early and there's so much anxiety because of the weight that I place on myself of doing. 
felt like last Sunday God woke me up with this reminder that it is grace alone that I live off of. And he reminded me that the full expression of his grace is found in abiding in his presence, not striving. Fancy way of saying stop trying to do it on your own, you never will be able to. And there's a world out there that is working, that is tired, that is hungry, that never can be satisfied with enough. But we can come in here and know that whatever I have, it's enough. Whatever he gives me, it's enough, so I'm not gonna work for it anymore. It's his grace alone that it gives me all that I need. Sometimes we get in spaces like this and we think, how, how can grace alone solve my debt problem, solve my marital issues, solve my ability to wanna leave and just make things happen on my own strength? I can earn any amount of money, but why is it that grace alone changes anything? I think Paul was onto something because it was grace alone that changed Paul's life. And that road to Damascus, as he looks back and he's in the prison cell, that's the only thing that sustained him. He said, if you met me on the road to Damascus, won't you meet me here in the prison? Somebody today, you, you thought, man, I feel so distant from God. He does not get distant from his children. And the only reason we gather on a Sunday morning like this is because we're absolutely convinced and persuaded that God loves us so much that he sent his son to, to be unrighteous for us. He took, our, sorry, he took our unrighteousness and made us righteous. He came to be with us. That is his love for us and it's grace alone. It's grace alone that will carry us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote that. He said, it's my, he, said he was having a conversation with God and he was saying, I have a thorn in my flesh. And Jesus responds to him and he says some of the most famous words quoted everywhere you go. Jesus reminds Paul, if you feel stuck, feel heartbroken, you feel tired, you feel weary, you feel anxious, you wanna give up, you wanna jump out, you feel confined. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my power is made perfect. So that's great news for the one that walked in and said, I don't know how I'm gonna do it another day. I don't know how I'm gonna move another mo moment. I don't know how I'm gonna keep doing this at this rate. I can't sustain, life is heavy, I feel anxious. His grace is sufficient for you. And it is his grace alone that will give you everything you need. See, when I read this, this is what I read. Paul stuck in there. The jailer comes running to him and he says this, why didn't you leave? And the jailer sitting there, it says that he, he came and he fell on his knees and said, why didn't you leave? And I can imagine Paul was reminded that it was grace alone and it was maybe that God kept him there because the jail keeper needed Jesus just like he did. And when I read it, I'm reminded I'm reminded that it's grace alone that sets us free. It's grace alone that opens up the prison doors that you've been confined in. It's grace alone that will take off every chain that you've been walking around with. It's grace alone that will solve your anxiety problems. Do you hear me? It's grace alone that will solve your stress problems. It's grace alone that will carry you through nothing else. This is why we need a savior because we can't do it, but he can. And by his grace alone, every prison door will fling wide open. By his grace alone, every chain will come off. By his grace alone. You can stand up, we're closing here. Band, you can make your way out. It's by grace alone. I wanna pray for some people in here today that first you need to receive Jesus in your life. Maybe you have, you made that decision, but you haven't been living that life. And today you say, I wanna rededicate my life. Or maybe you have never given your life over to Jesus. Today is your day, friend. We gather here today because we believe that his grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. So if you need that, every eye closed, 
you want to commit to living your whole life for Jesus, I want to ask you on the count of three to lift your hands. One, he loves you so much. Two, your life will never be the same again. Three, lift up your hands. I see him, I see him. It's amazing. Come on, would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me when I was a failure, when I walked away, when I messed up. Your grace was sufficient to go to the cross and to resurrect, to give me new life. Today, I give my life to you. It'll never be the same. Past, present, and future has changed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, we're gonna invite the prayer team forward. You can come up now. And listen, this moment is for you. I believe that just like for Saul, God met him in a moment that changed the trajectory of his entire life. And I believe the same thing could happen for you today. That if you're like, I'm stressed out of anxiety, worries, fears, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do, I don't know which way to go. Today, God wants to meet you. So if that's you, I'm gonna invite you forward as a, as a prayer team begins to sing, but would you put your hands out just like this right in front of you? Jesus, thank you so much that we get to gather in communities like this. God, for moments to be met by you. God, I pray for the one that walks in that feels overwhelmed and tired and depleted, that they would be met by the grace that is sufficient for their souls, that it would carry them when they need carrying, that it would give them strength when they feel weak, that it would lift them up, and God, that they would walk out of this room today with a new sense of hope, with a new sense of purpose, committed to what you do on the earth right now. So we're people saying, God, would you help us stay present in this moment? Not to walk away when it's easy, but to stay committed right now. We believe that this moment is so critical, so we give it to you. God, I pray you'd open up every mind, you would soften every heart, and Spirit of God, move through this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.